Welcome to Chant It Down Radio. I'm your host, Loomis. ChantItDownRadio.com is the website. This is episode 146, a new mini-series, Whistleblowers, Gatekeepers, and Charlatans, Nobody Rides for Free, Part 1. In this episode, we go over different influential people of all different backgrounds and analyze them for truth to see if they're safe or not to promote to the public. Chanted Down Radio is coming to you live from the Hawaiian Islands, coming from the perspective of complete freedom, coming from wisdom outside the system, and then some. This is the mouthpiece of the natural earth forgotten. At this point in time, humanity's been kept from the truth, so Chanted Down Radio offers the coordinates to a path out. You're searching for something whole, cause what you see is real life. You're watching this world unfold, the truth beneath the lies. Rickling what's been stole, the need to free one's mind. Uncover the truth exposed, so people see the light. Let's turn it down so we can know. It's simple, we just break it down a little bit so we can process all. Make the switch and elevate yourself to conscious mode. And it's beneficial, we can get this kind of road and get the future. Generators want to stop the whole thing With the message demonstrated, we can start a post Taking in the simulator and getting lots of numbers Waking up the possibility to try to stop hypnosis Welcome back to Chanted Down Radio Where we deprogram from the deep program You found yourself here, so maybe you're meant to be here And have a seat ChanitDownRadio.com is the website. This is episode 146, and I'm starting today a new series of shows called Whistleblowers, Gatekeepers, and Charlatans. Nobody rides for free. This is a series of shows that's uh, brand new. I'm putting it together. Uh, because this is Chant Down Radio, there needs to be some chanting down. And we're going to look at influential people of all sorts. It's easy to get tricked in today's world. There's so many voices to fall victim to and be influenced by that need to be looked at. And we're going we're gonna to take a look at people dead and alive, and we're going to have... A little fun with it. You know, we're going to have some fun on Chanted Down Radio. I've been talking about COVID-19 for so long. It's a depressing world out there. I hope you got the truth on it by now. And if you haven't, listen to the past episodes. There's plenty in the archives. Good material. Uh, enjoy the last episode before last with David Whitehead. Great speaker. Listen to him. Listen to material about that stuff, but we're going to have fun with this today. And it's not that I'm here to judge people from some high pedestal on this this series, this mini-series of shows. Uh, I'm... It's, I think it's important people don't fall victim to corrupted schools of thought out there. And also there is good voices out there that may seem suspect too. So we can look at those. But we're going to look at various peoples and we're going to just put them through the ringer of Chant Down Radio. So um, here's my rating system. So if the person's 100% trustworthy, they are a legit human. So if you want to trust them, but you're not quite sure, they're a questionable character and a little bit weird. That kind of thing would be considered a little weird. Yeah, but it is a bit weird. That's weird. If they're a full pawn for the system, but they don't know it, then they're a useful idiot. <coughs> you dumbass. <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha
And if they're a shady character, but you just can't prove it, but you know they're shady, then there's sketchy strings attached. I got a bad feeling about this. Suspicious person seen with a strange note clipped to their shoulder. And if they're a provable liar and a fraud, then you know they're an A1 smoke-up-the-ass-blowing charlatan. <laughs> All the miniseries on Channel Down Radio, I go back to them. So this is part one. And I may not do part two for a little while. So what you do is you go to the website, ChanitDownRadio.com, the series of shows page, and you'll find it as you scroll down all my different miniseries of shows. I go back to most of my miniseries of shows and do more shows. So if you see a random number that says, like, uh some uh, number five of some mini series of shows pop up on your feed and you're new to the show, that just means that that's part five of a series that I may have started a long time ago and I'm doing another. Well, it's going to be the same with this, but this is the new mini series of shows and um, what we're doing with it is we're uh, really putting people through the truth strainer, so to speak. We're, we're, we're um, going to judge them by their fruits and who they are affiliated with. Today we're going to look at three people of all different walks of life. We're going to do Anderson Cooper, the CNN journalist, Michael Moore, the filmmaker, and Phil Schneider, the whistleblower. And I think you probably know the obvious answers about two of them, but that's fine. We're going to go from here. Let's do a practice run here. We're going to start with Anderson Cooper. And most of you are already, uh, already have your formed opinion about him. I'm sure you do. But let's go through it. All right, here we go. Anderson Cooper. Cooper was born in Manhattan, New York City, the younger son of the writer Wyatt Emery Cooper and the artist, fashion designer, writer, and heiress Gloria Vanderbilt. His material grand, maternal grandparents were millionaire equestrian Reg, Reginald Claypool Vanderbilt and socialite Gloria Morgan Vanderbilt. Anderson Cooper is the great-great-great-grandson of Cornelius Vanderbilt, a super-wealthy shipping railroad tycoon. Cornelius even married his cousin toward the end of his life, helping to keep a portion of his wealth all in the family. Uh, sounds kind of like a uh, Game of Thrones bloodline kind of thing. So he comes from a rich elite bloodline, and it, this guy is far removed from being a regular person in society. So I don't know what, if some people have an opinion of him and you like the guy, uh, this guy is not coming from the average household here. So um, one thing that happened in his life is Anderson's Cooper... Uh, Anderson Cooper's brother, Carter, committed suicide by falling to death from his mother's 14th floor penthouse in New York City. You gotta kinda wonder, coming from a family like this and all the other elites and what they do, you gotta kinda wonder if that is a uh, suicide or not, or maybe it was a suicide because he wanted to get out of these crazy, dark elite satanic, pedophile ring type families, you know, and how I can just say that is, well, 
you can look at the obvious little signs here. Um, Cooper attended Yale University, where he resided in Trumbull College. Yale is always a school for the elites, whether they join the Skull and Bones Club, which is a very small minority that do that anyway. They... It is where the elites go, and if you if if you look up anyone's past history and you go to Yale, you're gonna see that the a lot of these people become these successful people. There's something about that school the the elite pull from. During college, Cooper spent two summers as an intern at the Central Intelligence Agency while studying political science. He pursued journalism with no formal journalistic education and is a self-proclaimed news junkie since he was in utero. All right, so the Central Intelligence Agency, no one just goes and works for them. So you have a a, a news anchor person because I don't listen to the guy. If you like him... He worked for the CIA, which is so suspect that you can't even get past that, that that would be an honest truth speaker coming out of that background. And he was an actor on the ABC series called The Mole. An actor. So somebody who's an actor and from the CIA, you can obviously see that there's no problem in lying. They can lie without blinking. They can lie without uh, being... Uh, feeling one bit of remorse. These people are trained from birth. They're trained, especially if you spent two summers as an intern in the CIA. So, you know, and he worked as a fact checker for Channel One, which I remember was a program for kids to watch in school. I remember when I was in middle school, they had us watching Channel One, and. Of course, I didn't have the filter I do now to filter out the bullshit, but when that was airing, I'm sure that they were giving us lots of it, and him being on there, no doubt, the programming probably was really deep. He is one of those groom-from-birth elite family pawns. He is part of the CIA Project Mockingbird, and his job is to completely lie to you with a convincing professional job and uh, good mannerisms. These same types of families read movie stars and music stars if you go research, and as I've said before, the CIA, Hollywood, and Satanism all spill into each other at high top levels. They're all tied in heavy. You know... And he acts like he is a humanitarian, and he is out for our best interests. You wouldn't want to insult him just because he's a gay man. I don't care what he is. He's probably, more likely, not just that, but probably a pedophile. And supposedly on Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs with a bunch of other uh, individuals. Yet he attends also a real restaurant in L.A., I'm not joking to you uh, at all, called the Cannibal Club. You can look it up. It's a place where you can actually eat human flesh. No joke. And he's on one of the attendees of that. He's a piece of shit. A full-time, lifetime actor, a paid liar. He's an A1, smoke-blowing, out-the-ass charlatan. He should be charged for crimes against humanity, for spreading lies, and the mainstream media in general should be strung out in the desert somewhere with no water. What a charlatan, what a lifetime actor, and never 
listen to these people. They're always going to give you the bullshit side of the coin. So, here, that was my practice run for this. This was more one of the more obvious personalities out there, but if you need confirmation, just look up anybody that is uh, a operational person in the system, you'll find that they always often have some ties to the CIA and the news, the media, or the military, or some kind of upper echelons of society, and they went to Yale. Those are all red flags all across the board, and uh, well, you know, <clears throat> if, you, if I can't help you any further with that, then sorry, but we're going on to the next person here. And the next person on my list is Michael Moore, the filmmaker. Now, Michael Moore, um, if you don't have any guard up, you feel like Michael Moore is for the good guy. You know, the average jo Joe who, who keeps getting screwed by corporate America. And, you know, I can get behind that on just that level. Like, yeah, you know, I've worked some horrible corporate jobs before in the past where I just felt like such a slave that I, um, you know, totally rebelled and didn't want anything to do with it. And I get that. And I can get behind that part of it, you know, just that part. And I grew up poor, and I hate how corporate America has destroyed life from that for the average person, just making it harder to make it and making you a slave in the system more than ever. So he's a good filmmaker as far as um, putting together, you know, uh, concepts and and making it easy to swallow. Uh, he puts issues on the table that are easy to digest. But Michael Moore, who he is, was born outside of Flint, Michigan, and raised in Davison by parents. His mom was a secretary, and his dad was an automotive assembly line worker. At the time, the city of Flint was home to many General Motors factories where his parents and grandfather worked. His uncle, Laverne, was one of the founders of the United Automobile Workers Labor Union and participated in the Flint sit-down strike. So he kind of has a background of being, you know, a rebel, I guess, to the um, corruption of corporations and stuff. So the first film I saw of his was... Bowling for Columbine, and at the time, I didn't, I, yeah, I was awake to what's going on in the world, but I thought it was, you know, I guess a decent film, you know, <laughs> it was put together kind of well, now realizing later that it's just playing a role against, it's against guns, and banning them, and, you know, the Second Amendment, and, and so really that's what it was attack on. But it wasn't until I saw Fahrenheit 9-11 that it really struck a nerve with me, that, that I knew that he was really off the mark. You know, because in this, in this film, if you've never seen it, he uncovered some dirt on the Bush family, which is good, but he missed the entire inconsistency with the narrative, the official narrative. He never questioned the official version in that movie. Uh, he never questioned things like Building 7 and, you know, obvious building that didn't get hit by a plane just collapsed in its own footprint. Or how the towers fell. I mean, there are endless loose ends to 9-11 and he didn't even shed any light on it. And to how... Um, he didn't go into you know how it could have possibly been pulled off, and 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 uh, it's almost like he uh, he made it to as if if George W. Bush made it happen himself, who is also a very useful idiot, 
And he put in none of the important info. The closest he gets to any real truth is showing George W. Bush find out about the second plane hitting, and he's sitting in the chair reading to the kids, and, you know, um, that's about it. So why didn't he mention the families that are unsettled with the 9-11 story, the whole 9-11 truth movement, the people that are up in arms. You know, he's wanting to cover people that are up in arms about, about um, you know, corporate greed. Why doesn't he uh, cover these people that had a, a, a really large movement that wasn't getting any media attention? You know, why wouldn't he do that if he's such a humanitarian? And out of all the inconsistencies in the story, that's all he's going to say. And, and so... You know, he's he's a, he was against jobs being brought overseas by big treaties like NAFTA. Yet he endorses uh, Hillary Clinton, who was pro NAFTA and put on all kinds of draconian things. And here, here, here. Listen to this. This is from a clip from the movie Sicko. Americans are without protection against catastrophic illness. The losers are the poor, who may now postpone urgently needed health care until it's too late. This went on for years until this man rode into town, bringing with him his little lady. Sassy. Smart. Today I am announcing the formation of the President's Task Force on National Health Reform, chaired by the First Lady, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Hillary Rodham Clinton decided to make health care for everyone her top priority. Universal coverage now and will not depend upon where you work, whether you work, or whether you have a pre-existing condition. Health care that can never be taken away. I feel like Michael Moore is just kind of like behind the scenes masturbating to Hillary Clinton. It's like he's got this this weird little crush on her, you know? He got behind, uh, so behind her during the last election, and everything that he fights against is really what Hillary stands for. And he endorses everything that he imposes, opposes in his own life. Does he know or does he not know? I mean, he tweeted when... Brexit uh, happened and England wanted to get out of the European Union, he tweeted, Europe, you are better off without the Brits. Now that there's a vacancy, take us. We want Europe. We want what Europe has. Free health care, free college, and real beer. What an idiot. Let's just join this globalist group. Did, did he get co-opted along the way? That's a question I want to ask, but maybe... Um, he reportedly has nine houses, and how can he just talk the talk and be part of the 1% himself? It seems like he's friends with Harvey Weinstein, and how's that for a so-called humanitarian and feminist? He's worked with him on two different films. You work with a guy like that, yeah, um, you're, you're um, rubbing shoulders with the wrong people, Michael. But, you know, if you look at his body of work, he has always just stood for these global agendas that are that are are being wielded by the left, like the anti-gun, the uh, Obamacare, and anti everything anti-right. Yet never exposed the right 
on their real crimes, such as the Bush family on their actual real, real crimes. He didn't really change much at all. And the only thing he did good at uncovering is in the in the 9/11 uh, movie the ties to the Saudis with the Bush family and and that they had something to do with 9/11. But that's still far from the big picture, Michael. You know, what about the Bush's ties to Osama bin Laden, the CIA ties? You know, we can go on forever. But with his head and in his ass and his eyes on a socialist horizon, he's a sellout to his own ideals. Michael Moore is a full-fledged, useful idiot. <coughs> you dumbass. With possible suspicious strings attached, because maybe he was co-opted. I got a bad feeling about this. Suspicious person seen with a strange note clipped to their shoulder. Another useful pawn and moron and gatekeeper of your freedom for the system, Michael Moore. And, yep, so let's go ahead and get in with the next person on the list here, which is Phil Schneider. And this is a complicated one. We need to spend some more time on this because of the fact that this story is much more complicated. There's a lot to it here. Uh, if you've never heard of Phil Schneider, the whistleblower, he is a whistleblower and structural, originally a structural engineer who claimed to build underground bases. He had a level three clearance and worked for 17 years in these underground bases. And with this, you really, with this whole Phil Schneider, you really have to stretch your realms of belief. But can you suspend your belief and conclusions till you hear the evidence? It's a skill, but I think if you really listen to this guy's story, you can, you can at the end, uh, make your own conclusions as well. But Philip Schneider uh, was born in 1947, and he died in 1996. He was a lecturer on the Dulce uh, Mysterious Underground Base, he had been a lecture on a lecture tour for two years prior to his death, speaking about government cover-ups, black projects, and UFO phenomenon. His father also has a controversial um, military life. He fought on both sides of World War II as a U-boat captain, and then after uh, doing that, captured by the United States and became involved in the front of. Uh, military experiments. I guess that's kind of, I, I guess it's a part of the Project Paperclip, uh, you know, that seized him. Uh, he worked in the project of the atomic bomb, the H-bomb, and according to researchers, the Philadelphia Experiment. Uh, <clears throat> he left behind letters in his basement after he passed away, and his son um, uh, got a hold of him, and, and, and there were some deathbed confessions, too. Um, also photographs of UFOs fleeing, fleeing through mushroom clouds after the A-bomb was dropped on Bikini Atoll around 1946 and the so-called Operation Crossroads. Philip, in another hand, graduated his son in, in, in engineering and geology, and with his family influence, he worked for the government for 17 years. And Phil 
Schneider married Cynthia Marie Dreyer Simon. They met in June 1986 at a meeting of the Oregon Agate and Mineral Society. Cynthia mentioned years later that Phil had so many interesting stories and so much information to share. Their marriage had suffered difficulties, though, from uh, Phil's health problems, which contributed to their later breakup. Phil had multiple health concerns, such as chronic lower back pain, osteoporosis, and multiple sclerosis, and some cancer. Occasionally, Phil had to use crutches, a body brace, leg braces, bladder bag, catheter, diapers, and a wheelchair. And also, he presented a severe case of depression. He was emotionally disrupted, could become abusive, and Cynthia and Philip divorced in 1990. And so, that is sort of a red flag when someone is depressed. It can make a person want attention, so we have to keep that in mind while we read about him. But one of the, you know, the interesting things is... Um, and this will come into play in a little bit, is two fingers were missing from his left hand, where, and there was a scar that ran down from the top of his throat to, to his belly button, and another scar that ran from under his ribs side to side. Philip decided to take on the, after he resigned from the military, to take on a, a lecture tour for two years, prior to the death, uh, speaking about, prior to, to his death, speaking about government cover-ups, black projects, and all the UFO stuff. So in his wife's testimony, Cynthia believes that the main reason why Philip began to lecture was due to the murder of his friend, Ron Rummel. Ron was found in a park in Portland, Oregon in September 1993. The police ruled his death a suicide by having shot himself in the mouth. And Ron Rummel, in the detective report, there was blowback uh, blood on Ron's hand, but no blowback blood on the gun, which is suspicious. Rummel, Schneider, and a few others collaborated on a magazine project called Alien Digest. The magazine had gotten a fairly wide circulation at the time when Ron Rummel was found dead in the park. Philip Schneider believed that his friend was murdered and decided that it was time to get out in the open. So listen to this. This is what he has to say about Ron. As far as the police and the FBI concerned, it's case closed. Uh, unfortunately, there's a shocking thing that his murderer, I believe his murderer, is still out there at large. Why is it you're speaking out? There have been enough lives taken the premise of suicide when they were actually very stable individuals always had uh, they always had they had families and they had uh, lives to look forward to and they had every reason to live and, and if there is some form of conspiracy out there then the more people that are talking might end up saving lives in the long run so as you can hear phil was very motivated to speak out so you know he could prevent more deaths like what happened to his friend Ron Rommel. And so uh, he spoke on his lectures at, and he tried to remember every top secret government secret that he learned and he made clear that probably he would not live for a long time. So uh, he made uh, quite a few things clear. Uh, one thing he talked about was the long-time relationship between aliens and the U.S. government with the exchange of information between the two sides. 
Also, the existence of a black budget to the U.S. to fund top-secret projects. And over 100 underground facilities, because remember, he was a he was a um, engineer for these tunnels. He exposed there's over 100 underground facilities spread over the country, large underground cities connected by high-speed mag- magnetic levitation trains that that are reaching up to uh, Mach 2 speed. And also the invention of a device to produce earthquakes. So, um, Phil Schneider, he claimed to be an engineer who worked on all these underground installations, including the Dulce base, uh, and he claimed to be an escapee from the 1979 Dulce Wars. Uh, that's where he got his scars from, apparently, um, because what happened is he was being lowered into this cavern, and they had drilled into an alien gray, a gray, tall gray base, and uh, he had a gun on his hip, and they started shooting at him, so he shot at them and killed a few, and what ended up happening is uh, 66 people were killed in this fight, and so he was one of three survivors, and some have confirmed that a large scar did indeed exist on him, and he believed that the cancer that he had was caused from exposure to what he called a cobalt radiation. Although none of Philip Schneider's claims have ever been proven, his public talks on Dulce Base and other places have been causing an upset in shadowy places, so it did um, ruffle some feathers, you could say. So he also worked in the Los Alamos Base and Area 51 and the areas of S2 and S4, which does lend credence to Bob Lazar's story, if you get into that. And even though I don't think he ever mentioned him, but he did say... If I ever commit suicide, I'll have been murdered. So he had many attempts on his life, and he he was almost run off the road and killed, and he was warned by agents, and, well, it ended up happening. And on January 17th of 1996, Philip Schneider was found dead in his Wilsonville, Oregon apartment. And he had apparently been dead for several days. His body was found in what appeared to be an unusual position. His feet were under the bed, his head was in a wheelchair seat at an unusual angle, and the rest of his body was on the floor, hands by his side. Blood was found on the floor near his wheelchair, but no blood was found on his wheelchair. No wounds were on his body to account for the blood. No suicide note was ever found. Schneider's death was considered to be caused by a heart attack, but later analysis showed impressions around his neck. The width of a catheter tube was actually, no, I think it was a catheter tube was strangling his neck. And that suggests that his death was motivated by by strangulation. And his his ex-wife has stated that U.S. intelligent operatives had thoroughly searched their home shortly after his death and made off with at least a third of the family photographs. Cynthia also, that's his wife, also observed that Phil's lecture material and notes for his unwritten book on UFOs also went missing from his apartment, yet no, money and other things remained there. So, you know, they, they took his stuff. And Cynthia, the wife, was told by Detective Randy Harris that there were marks on Phil's necks, uh, neck and an autopsy report revealed that a rubber hose was indeed tied around Phil's neck three times and then tied in a knot, which blocked 
blood flow to his head, resulting in him becoming unconscious and then dying. Yet the official death was labeled as a suicide. Hmm, maybe if he was dead now, it'd be COVID. But yeah, the medical examiner took blood and urine samples at the autopsy, but refused to analyze them, saying that the Clackamas County Coroner's Office would not waste their money on a suicide. Samples were kept for 12 months when interested parties asked for these samples, it's mysterious, to be sent to an independent lab. 11 months later, they were missing and presumed destroyed. So, um, and then, and just, this is the testimony of Cynthia, his ex-wife, and she basically says, Philip had missing fingers on his left hand and limited motion in his shoulders. I believe that it was physically impossible for Philip to have held the rubber hose in his left hand with missing fingers and then wrapped the hose three times with shoulders that had limited motion in order to end up where his body was. He had to sit on the edge of his bed, wrap the hose around his neck, slowly and painfully strangled to death, and then fallen headfirst into a wheelchair. And, you know, um, anyway, so that's, that's obviously a murder situation there. But let's get into um, his recordings. I want to share with you a little bit of his, of what he has to say, rather than me just read it out to you, uh, the, you know, because it's a complex story. These recordings I have, they are the, the only recordings. You're going to hear a buzzing noise in the back, background, I guess. It must have just been recorded by cheap equipment or something. But listen to him talk, first of all, about these pictures of his dad working with this alien guy. And then uh, we'll go from there. These are the benevolent aliens, and they've been here helping us. In fact, I have a picture. I have a picture. Let me reach for it here. I have a picture of one of the aliens been working for the United States Pentagon for the last 58 years. His name is Val, Val Valiant Thor. He's right here. There's my father in the background. This old place, the ready room of the USS Eldridge, Albilico, has probably explained or maybe even shown you this picture. There's a list of the some of the notable people in it. They're all the atomic bomb scientists of the day, all the uh, time variant uh, experimentalists of the day, all the top physicists. Of, of that particular day. This was, in, this was in August of 1943. Now this guy has not changed one iota in 58 years. Started work, he came here, crashed here or whatever. Whether he's under duress or not, he started work for our U.S. Navy and military operations in 1937, either 37 or 38 is what I've been told. So it's for 58 years, this man's been employed probably under duress. If you don't do as we say, we're just going to use you for alien bait or something. I don't know. But anyway, he basically hasn't changed. He lives for 490 years, what he says his lifespan is. Now, he's supposedly a semi-benevolent, he's a human-looking type person. He has six fingers and six toes, and he's got one oversized heart, one lung, giant lung, uh, his blood vessels are bigger. He's got copper oxide for blood similar to an octopus. Uh, his brain capacity, 300 centimeters greater than ours. He has a thinking capacity. Uh, IQ, if, if you were to measure it, would be totally off the scale. It would be about a 1,200 IQ. Um, 
He speaks a hundred languages fluently, alien as well as others. Um, he's a remarkable person. I had a chance to meet him one time. Now, um, by the way, he doesn't shake hands. He was kind of in a spacesuit because all aliens, regardless benevolent or otherwise, they're carrying germs and diseases and bacterium in and on them that are deadly to us. If I were making policy, I'd quarantine them all because, because how do we not know that some of our diseases like AIDS, Ebola, uh, hantavirus, and a few of these other weird designer diseases, as I call them, are not made from the cadavers of some of these aliens as a biological weapon to use against the people of the United States. Well, I'm and I'll admit, when he talks like that, it does sound pretty far-fetched, right? But um, we don't live in these kind of situations. We're not privy to these scenarios, so you just have to kind of take it with a grain of salt, of course. But what really stood out to me is, of course, this guy, this alien guy, sounds like what would be described as a blonde Nordic. Remember when I went over on my series of shows, the Beyond Earth series of all these supposed extraterrestrial species? Well, um, probably the same as the Billy Meyer story, too, if that's true. Now, what really got me is, notice he talks about the diseases. He talks about, at a time like this, where everybody's thinking about it, maybe people need to look into his information some more. I mean, makes you wonder where some of these diseases actually do come from, and if he is speaking some truth on that, and as a matter of fact that if we were to have a disclosure situation and real aliens started to mingle with humans, you know, or, or first of all land, I guess, and people would already know what a lockdown is, so they would be locking down for a while. You know, that could, that could happen. Yeah? Well, let's listen to a little more of what he has to say. Alien agenda is one in the same. It's world takeover and the decimation of the population of this planet. I'm going to tell you something a little bit different about the alien species. The bad news ones, there are nine races of alien populations. To look at a human being as a bag of food. They're not cannibals. They don't eat the flesh and the bones and all that kind of stuff. They use the glandular secretions of animals and human beings as a mixture of the vitamins for their food. They get high off of our adrenal gland substances called adrenal chrome. It's, a, it's something like uh, cocaine to them. Now, what can we do about it? We can, Right now, if we do nothing, we can do nothing about it, and it will continue to go on. Basically, we'll be led in the dark, and you'll keep seeing more and more people disappear. Right now, there's 100,000 children totally unaccountable through FBI archives, cannot be traced anywhere. They haven't been murdered. Nobody's ever seen them. I think they're hauled underneath in some of these bases, and they are summarily done away with, and they are literally eaten. Now, that is a scary thing indeed. Some, and I'm not asking you to believe me in total. I am asking you to seriously do enough homework that you can go out in through the public record, through the congressional records, find out who's voting for what, and go from there. Do your own program. And that's what I'm doing is my own program. I'm trying to figure out, you know, the truth myself. So, you know, he says things like that, but, you know, that goes... What he's talking about with 
this the children being taken I mean that goes right into what people are talking about today with adrenochrome and it fits perfectly with the underground base theory that pedophiles store kids in these bases under tunnel systems in this under these cities and notice that he didn't talk about seeing kids in the bases and tunnels he worked at. Because remember, everything is compartmentalized. He was in rural spots, in, in bases that were in, you know, the, the, the deserts and stuff like that. But um, I, w I believe he was going to expose way too much, and this is why he got caught. Because now these kind of things with, with these, uh, these, this child trafficking is beginning to come into the... Into, up to the surface, and we're starting to see light into these pedophile rings in Hollywood, the Jeffrey Epstein thing, and all these celebrities and important figureheads attending these child porn type spots. Um, so here we are starting to lend credence to his entire story, even if it's way out there for a lot of people. Well, let's listen a little more. The overview is about underground mountain bases. All of them should be made public. In future talks, I'll be giving latitudes and longitudes of every single one of these bases. I've already written a manuscript at the publisher as we speak. It's a dynamite book. It lists all the secretive agendas that our government has us believing in right now and why it's so much BS. Why the New World Order is so good for us. Ha ha. Well, don't believe it, folks. Believe in only one thing. Love thy neighbor as thyself and ask continually questions about our constitutional freedoms. So imagine if you would have came out with this book uh, and gave the longitudes and latitudes of these underground bases. I mean, they couldn't let this happen, it seems, so he was killed off. And it wasn't done very slick, but you have to remember this is back in the 90s when there was rare, not much internet going on at 1996, I mean, you know. And so he was, um, it was, it was easy to to off him at that point in time where now if someone came out like that it would be harder to off him without making such a example of that so but with phil you really have to go with blind belief i mean yeah we don't have any proof of anything that went on in these underground bases you have to have high clearance and you have to trust a man who sounds like he's making up science fiction tales Yes, he was depressed, but then again, if you had physical conditions like him, would you really be happy? So you have to ask that too. But what stands out with Phil Schneider is the fact that he was obviously taken out. Obviously, that was not a suicide. Also his friend, and they didn't, they didn't want him talking. And if he was just some crazy person, why wouldn't they just let him be? His materials were taken. His evidence of adrenochrome chrome, he was talking about it way before anyone else and so um and earthquake machines you know most of his work only backs up what many researchers and other whistleblowers have been saying for years so a lot of things coming to the surface today are exactly what he was saying and if you're just a person that believes in regular reality and and regular everyday life and don't look at anything else it's super easy to dismiss him as a kook but even he says with me, put on your skepticals, not your spectacles. 
So weighing out all the evidence and putting it all together, Phil Schneider is a legit human. With some questionable character possibilities. That kind of thing would be considered a little weird. Yeah, but it is a bit weird. That's weird. But mostly a legit human. So I encourage you to listen to this guy's lecture. See what you think. My, my opinion on these people is going through the true strainer and really knowing what's going on with a bigger picture. But it's still my opinion. So you can take it how you will. But this miniseries will continue on. I'll do some other people. And if you have people that you would like me to put through this strainer uh, with this series of shows whistleblowers, gatekeepers, and charlatans, then yeah, I'll do it. Um, I think it's a good way for people that you know that may uh, be listening to the wrong sources to kind of get the right information and at the same time expose people that are uh, probably good, such as Phil Schneider, that, that need a lot more uh, exposure and light and looking into. And yeah, as crazy as it all sounds, but on Channel Down Radio, we do go there in the Beyond Earth series, which goes all into the extraterrestrial and UFO phenomenon. But, you know, we'll do all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life. So I hope you enjoyed this show, and I've been able to put out a lot of shows lately, and I think that um, Channel Down Radio is coming up in the world. If you have any guests that you would like to have on, any uh, people that you'd like me to be on, write them, write me if you want, have any questions or anything, it's, it's peoplebeyondthis at gmail.com. I hope you've been enjoying Chenet Down Radio. We're going to go all over the place. We're going to cover current events still and sometimes, but we're going to go all over with different subject matter that really kind of lends the bigger picture of the world that we live in. So I hope you've been enjoying, and in these times, be a warrior, not a worrier.